let's have our third lecture on Oedipus King, Oedipus Tyrannus now. So, to review, we remember that a what has been occurring in Thebes, which has required action by Oedipus and the people there, yes? A plague, and who, which god is it that we ask for information from uh, as to how to solve this plague problem, yes? Apollo, who himself sends plagues, and uh, which book is it that we read, which epic poem where Apollo sends a plague at the very beginning of the text, yes? The Iliad, very good. And often a plague is sent when an action, which is what occurs. Who remembers the term that we used here? An immoral action. And in this case, who is it that Oedipus sent to um, the oracle at Delphi in order to get the prophecy for, which would have to be interpreted for how to solve this problem, yes? Creon. And when Creon returns, what, uh, what was the word that I used for what? Oedipus accuses Creon and Tiresias of having done together. Does anybody recall this? Yes. Planning to throw Oedipus at the throne. Yes, yes. It is planning to, throw, to overthrow Oedipus. Does anybody recall the exact specific term, though? That is a good definition of the term, yes? Mm -hmm. Collusion. Colluding. Very good. And what is the information that, or, hmm, first I should ask, what is it that Tiresias does not want to do that Oedipus insists that he do? Yes? Tell Oedipus the truth. He says it will bring him no what to tell Oedipus this truth. Yes? Uh, happiness, right? It will make him very sad. And what are the two things that uh, Creon, or not Creon, excuse me, Tiresias ends up telling to Oedipus, though Oedipus does not believe them at this point, even though they are true? That he is the killer of whom? Oh, who is his? Father. So he will kill his father, or has killed his father, and what is the other part of the prophecy? That he laid with his mother. That's right. That's right. And of course, that's unbelievable, and so he doesn't want to believe it. And so he has a huge, huge, huge argument, not only with Tiresias, who he accuses of collusion, but then also publicly with Creon. Why is it that Creon says that he would never collude against Oedipus no matter what? Yes? Because it's better to be like high in rank and not have to deal with all the other kingdoms. Very good. He says he has all the benefits of being royal without any of the detriments and the responsibilities. So he has no reason to want to be king. All right, and then who is it that shows up and says we should not be doing this in public, and that is where we will start today? The voice of reason, so-called, yes? Jocasta. Jocasta. All right, so Oedipus and Jocasta speak. Jocasta asks Oedipus for an explanation of the situation. She's like, what is going on here? Why do I hear that you're yelling at Creon, my brother, your brother-in-law, uh, why is it that you've been yelling at Tiresias? Why have you summoned Tiresias? Probably she understands that that's because of the plague. Well, Oedipus explains that Creon has essentially accused him of murder through having Tiresias give a false prophecy indicating that Oedipus would kill Laius or has killed, uh, uh, has killed somebody at some point, uh, which, which obviously he has done, but he does not think that that is Laius. In any case, Oedipus thinks that Creon has conspired with Tiresias. Well, Jocasta then absolves Creon. That means relieves him of guilt. Uh, we have another term for that, too. Uh, 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 and it has something to do with the word onus. Uh, hmm, hmm, I'm forgetting the actual legal term. Uh, we exonerate. There we go. That is the official legal term for to remove the onus or to remove a, uh, the stain of an accusation from somebody. And so Jocasta starts to lay out some information that will lead to Oedipus's inevitable uh, realization, his recognition of the turn. And so he says, Laius and I 
received an oracle long ago that Laius was fated to die by his son. This is information we did not have. But the thing is, he died by many robbers, so said the man who escaped the killing of Laius. So that prophecy, and therefore all prophecies, must be untrue. And something very interesting about that son who was supposed to kill uh, Elias is that his ankles had been pierced and bound together. And so the person who was her son, who she now believes to be dead, would have some sort of scars on his what? On his ankles, on his feet. Very good. And she said, but the thing is, we killed him. So we killed our son who was supposed to kill Elias, and then robbers killed Elias. And the son that we were supposed to have that could have killed Laius is dead. So none of this adds up. It, it doesn't work. You shouldn't be worried. Well, the plot thickens. Oedipus starts to ask questions. He's like, um, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But I'm, he's, he seems to be developing sort of a, a bad feeling, a feeling of foreboding like we've talked about. He says, but where was this Laius killed? Was he, was he killed at a crossroads? And it turns out that he was killed at a place called Phocis, where the road splits in two from Delphi and Gallia. And so, yes, he was killed at a crossroads. Oedipus starts to sweat a little, you might imagine. And he says, how long ago? And she says, well, the, uh, and, and this is all what's called circumstantial evidence in law. It's something that could be true, but is not definitively true. The news came to the city just before you became king. So Elias died in the place where Oedipus killed a man right at the time when Oedipus first showed up to the city, which circumstantially seems to place Oedipus right at the scene of the what? Crime. The crime, that's right. Oedipus continues to ask about Elias. He says, oh, well, how did he look then? He's really trying to home in on what happened. And, well, now he thinks as he continues to ask these questions, and he starts to see that potentially he was in fact the person that killed Laius, that perhaps the person he cursed, the person who killed the king, is in fact who? Himself, potentially. And so he says, okay, okay, he finds out there were five men, a herald, a chariot, and the king. The only person to have escaped the so-called ambush by robbers was a servant who then told Jocasta this. So the servant who escaped said that he was accosted by many robbers rather than one person, probably because that would be very embarrassing and potentially he would be executed for his cowardice. That servant, after reporting back to Jocasta, apparently asked immediately to be sent out to the fields to become something like a herdsman or a farmer. Well, Oedipus summons him back to confirm his fears and Jocasta's. The reason why we need to summon the servant back is we need to know whether he has been honest or dishonest. If he has been dishonest about how many people killed Lias, then we might be able to pinpoint the cause of Lias's death, and that and the cause of Lias's death might be whom? Oedipus. Let's let's see then. Oedipus starts to confide in Jocasta, line seven seventy to eight thirty. He says. Polybus and Merope were my parents in Corinth. And something for you Harry Potter fans is that any of you Harry Potter fans out there read the, read the movies, read the books or seen the movies? Well, the name of Tom Riddle's mother, you may recall, is Merope itself. It's as if 
mothers who are named Marope are destined to have uh, sons who live tragic existences. Uh, Tom Riddle, of course, becomes Lord Voldemort, kills his own father. Very like whom? Oedipus. Oedipus. And so, Polybus and Merope were my parents in Corinth, so says Oedipus. A drunken man one day, however, called Oedipus a bastard, an illegitimate child to them. In fact, he's an adopted child to them, so he's, he's even less than that. He's not simply illegitimate in terms of having been born out of wedlock. He was not born to those parents at all, but Oedipus didn't know that. Oedipus then goes to the Pythian Oracle. Recall that the Delphian Oracle and the Pythian Oracle are both uh, Apollinian. And the Pythian Oracle is called such because uh, Apollo defeated a giant snake slash dragon called Python there. And that is why pythons, which are giant snakes, are called pythons, because they are modeled after a giant mythological snake uh, or named for. So Oedipus went to the Pythian Oracle himself to learn his fate. And his fate, of course, he learned was to kill his father and to lie with his mother. And because of this terrible fate, he fled from Corinth. And on his way to the Thebes to find his new destiny, to escape his destiny, he ran into an old man at a crossroads, an old man with a chariot and several men about him. And this old man refused to move out of Oedipus's way, and in fact, struck him with one of these nasty goads. Look at this thing. It's metal. What if you got hit on the head with that? Would you be pretty upset? Dead. You might be. Not if you're Oedipus, though, and an old man is swinging. So, he got a pretty nasty hit on the head by this guy. If you get hit on the head, you might become rather what? Angry at the person in front of you. You think they're trying to harm you, do violence to you. You don't know them. There are no laws out here. And so what Oedipus did after being struck by these rude and insolent people is he killed them all. Have I any relation to this man whose bed I pollute? He starts to see that potentially, absolutely, it was him that killed Laius. But at this point, we do not know that Laius is actually his what? Father. We still think that Polybus is his father. And so Oedipus hopes to hear from the messenger that it was robbers, not a robber, who killed Lias. It is still not 100% guaranteed that he is the killer of Lias, but it does seem more and more and more and more and more and more and more likely that it absolutely was him. Jocasta says, but you know, the thing is, even if you did kill him, you could not be his son because I was the mother of uh, his son, and we killed that son because of the prophecy that he would someday kill his father. Hmm. Hmm. Very similar. It reminds me quite a bit of the prophecy surrounding Zeus and Kronos. That Kronos knew that one day there would be a god that was born to him that would supplant him, and he tried to eat those gods. And it, because of his actions, his wife conspired against him. And one day his son, his youngest son, Zeus, uh, did end up supplanting him. Very similar sort of story, if one were to ask me. And so Jocasta then exits, searching for a peasant to bring the former messenger. Cool. Oedipus slaying Laius here. He doesn't know about this yet. Notice that Gorgon on the front of his curse there. Very similar to, um, what is the name of the shield that Athena holds that belongs to Zeus? Who recalls that? The Aegis. Very good. All right, the chorus then sings. They, they pray never to fall asleep, 
of the laws of man and God's. That means become unconscious of them, forget their importance. The ambition of men generally helps the state so long as a god protects one, so long as one has one's proper aim. But if one makes a mistake, if one disobeys these laws, this ambition might lead to ruin rather than to reward. And if a man is arrogant, the gods will smite him. Who is our example who will come just after this uh, in the Battle of Thebes? Who is the man who gets fulminated for his arrogance? We'll call it fulminated means to be struck by lightning. He was the father of Sthenelus, who was himself a lieutenant to Diomedes. Ooh, our memories aren't so strong today, yes? No, 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 it's Capanius. It's Capanius. And so the chorus concludes that Apollo is oracle, and thus Apollo are dishonored, and show your might and ill will, Zeus. So there's something. People are trying to go against their fates, and in so doing, they are dishonoring the prophecy of Apollo, and in so doing, they will bring themselves not reward, but ruin. All right, Jocasta re-enters. Now, Oedipus's mental state has been degenerating over the course of this play. The closer and closer he comes to the truth, the closer and closer he comes to indicting himself and seeing himself for the evil, corrupting things he has done. He has thought himself a hero beyond such considerations, the, the person who purifies rather than corrupts. But clo the closer and closer he comes to seeing that he has killed Laius, with all this information swirling about in his head, Laius being killed, him killing a man at the crossroads, him not yet admitting this, but knowing that he, in fact, has marks on his ankles. And uh, also there being a prophecy that he would kill his father and live with his mother, and he has killed a man. None of this is perfectly connected in his head yet, but it's all swirling about there. It's, it's sort of confusing and dazzling and upsetting him at this moment. Well, soon it will all be put together. And so, Jocasta knows that Oedipus is out of his mind and goes to Apollo for wisdom. Well, here enters the messenger looking for Oedipus. And this messenger brings, again, good and bad news. This is a messenger from Corinth. The bad news is that Polybus, the king of Corinth, is dead. His father is dead, the person he thinks is his father. But the bad part of that is that Corinth wants Oedipus to be king. The problem with Oedipus becoming king of Corinth is, A, he's already the king of Thebes, and B, if he goes to Corinth and his mother, Merope, is still alive, what might he do? Lay with her. And he does not ever want to be in the same room with Merope, who he thinks is his mother, ever again, just because he doesn't know how the prophecies of God work. But that said, the messenger will give him what he thinks is uh, a piece of information that will still his mind, calm his mind. Uh, Good. In any case, Oedipus then laughs in derision at Apollo learning this fact. Calls oracles worthless. We'll soon see just how worthless. Thinks he was misled by fear. And then Jocasta very famously gives a response to Oedipus's fear, saying of laying with his mother, uh, which is that many men in their dreams have lain with their mother. That is where the so-called, there was a uh, psychoanalysis. There was a psychologist in the 19th, 20th century called Sigmund Freud who came up with what was called Freudian psychoanalysis. And one of the complexes that he first uh, illustrated was the so-called Oedipal complex, where one has feelings of affection or attraction towards one's mother or people of a certain age. There is a contrary 
uh, complex called the Electra complex as well. And you know, that is a very famous concept in psychology to this day. It is mentioned to this day there are psychoanalysts and there are Jungian psychotherapists as well. Yes, focus on this, focus on this. In any case, there we go. Why should men, or why should man, fear? This is the quote itself. Since chance is all in all for him, and he can clearly foreknow nothing, best to live lightly as one can, unthinkingly. Of course, thinking brings what to people? Not pleasure, <coughs> but pain. That's why most people don't do it. As to your mother's marriage bed, don't fear it. Before this in dreams too, as well as oracles, many a man has lain with his own mother. But he to whom such things are nothing bears his life more easily, or most easily. Excuse me, more easily. It doesn't make much sense. So is ignorance bliss, or is ignorance bliss until painfully replaced by knowledge, which one's ignorance kept one from? You might think of the example of an ostrich, the so-called ostrich defense that Charles Sanders Person, 19th century American philosopher, put forward. If you put your head in the sand like an ostrich while a bull charges at you, you think you're perfectly safe until the bull obviously what's you? Gores you, right? But you feel perfectly safe. So the question is, if you are a vulnerable creature like a human, should you recognize your vulnerability, deal with that fear, and potentially escape the bull's horns? Or should you put your head in the sand and feel safe until it kills you? Which is an interesting question. I don't know that there's a clear answer. Obviously, you want to survive, but in order to survive, you have to endure what? Fear. Fear, because you're very vulnerable. And, well, there are, again, psychotherapists. They are called the terror management ther uh, therapists that are based on Freud. And they believe that that is why humans tell stories to each other, so that they can forget for a moment about how vulnerable they are and how scary the world really is. And, well, there's something to be said for that. How many of you watch or read stories every single day? Whether they be on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, the television, movies. It's like, huh, why do we fill our days with those things? Very interesting. In any case, Oedipus remains afraid of his mother, Merope. The messenger then plays with our emotions a bit. Uh, he, he calls Oedipus son, and Oedipus keeps calling him old man. He might be a figure of the conscience then, and he has, in, in, to support that idea, he has come to remind Oedipus of what he has done in the past. It's very Jiminy Cricket-like in this way. And no matter who he looks to, the story does not change. And so the messenger says that Oedipus's fears are all baseless. And Oedipus says, why? What do you mean? Because Oedipus was no son of Polybus at all. In fact, the messenger literally says, he says, I'm just as much your father as Polybus is as much your father. And Oedipus says, how can that be? What do you mean when you say that sort of thing? And, Oedip and uh, the messenger says, that's because Polybus adopted you. This is when Oedipus really starts to sweat. Oedipus is in disbelief. He doesn't immediately realize the implications of this piece of information. But what this new information translates to is him being back on the hook for killing his father and laying with his mother. Because... If Merope is not his mother, and Polybus is not his father, then he does not yet know who his mother and his father are. And he has killed a man, and he has fathered children. So he has lain with a woman before, and he has killed a man. It is very much possible that those people are his parents. 
though he does not yet jump to that specific conclusion. So this is not good news at all to Oedipus, even though it appeared as good news in the first place. But what is our theme in this story as well as in the Odyssey? Nothing is as it seems. That's right. You have to dig to find the roots of a problem. And that's hard to see without digging. In any case, any relief from finding his father dead and the prophecy unfulfilled is now gone. He is going to regret those words, calling prophecies baseless and worthless. So Oedipus now questions the messenger. This messenger first brought to Paul first brought a child to Polybus from Laius. I, I say Oedipus up there, but I shouldn't, because we don't yet know 100% that it was Oedipus. Polybus accepted Oedipus, or some child, with bound feet, because he himself was childless. And so Oedipus addresses him, he says, you are a shepherd, hireling vagrant, he's sort of being insulting to this messenger because, well, uh, who wants bad news from a messenger? Nobody. Yes, but at least at the same time, the man that saved your life, son, the messenger responds. Why is there tension between the two? Is it uh, because Oedipus is himself feeling tension at this moment, is on the hook, is feeling like the sword of Damocles is hanging dangerously close over his head? Probably, probably. Think about when you are so-called under the gun, under pressure. The messenger then reveals a very key piece of information. This will be where we end today. I feel like you guys can feel the tension mounting. Do you feel the tension mounting in the room? Yes, absolutely. It is very tense. Something We're about to figure something out, something that is very much damning. And so he mentions that Oedipus's scars on his ankles are from the bonds that bound him. Flashback. Very similar to the flashback we saw in which work where we saw the source of a character's scar on his knee. Odysseus. In the Odyssey, Odysseus. It's very good. The flashback is, remember what Jocasta said about how she and Laius found the ankles of the child they intended to kill? Now we realize that Oedipus has scars on his ankles. Probably he's the what? He's the son that was supposed to be killed by the herdsmen that Jocasta and Laius uh, asked or demanded to kill their son because he would kill Laius at some point. Hmm, interesting. Horror begins to well up in Oedipus. He demands to know who gave him to this messenger. It was another shepherd. Who? The chorus responds that it is the very peasant whom Jocasta sent for, who was the one person who survived in the train of Laius. This man has the final piece of information that we need in order to understand what has happened. We'll get that tomorrow.